So to the women out there, talk salaries. If you feel uncomfortable doing that internally at your company, do it in the industry with men and women. Find out where you stand. And I know those conversations can be uncomfortable, but it is a win-win. If you talk to a peer and you find out you're making a lot less than them in the industry, it gives you a good gauge of what someone at your expertise in your role is worth. And it allows you to go back to your organization and have a conversation about a path to a raise or that next step. So today on the Dreamers and Doers podcast series, today I'm joined by a recognized multi-award winning channel marketing leader. She's a trailblazer. She's best in class for creating unbelievable demand gen strategies, really gaining the hearts of the channel community. And she's a big advocate. She's a big advocate for pushing change, you know, driving equality with various DEI initiatives. She's an influencer and she's an amazing person. So please welcome Maylee Langley. Maylee, welcome to the Dreamers and Doers podcast. As the title said, it's all about what you're dreaming about and what you're doing. So let's jump in there. Tell me, what are you dreaming about and what are you doing to make the channel better? Absolutely. Well, first, thank you for having me on the podcast, Craig, or should I say Mr. Channel Influencer of the Year, the GOAT himself, so to speak. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations to you, by the way, as well. Oh, thank you. The list is just a great list to be on. But as far as what am I dreaming and what am I doing? Well, I'm kind of doing, I'm working on doing what I've been dreaming of, if that makes sense. So uh, for the past 24 months or so, I have been putting a lot of thought and dreaming, so to speak, about putting together an event, uh, which I hope to be a small conference at some point, but will probably start as a little workshop, so to speak, for women earlier in their careers. Uh, and by that, I don't mean uh, necessarily younger. I just mean women in kind of those that manager level and maybe below, um, or women that maybe feel a little stuck in a current role. So there might be a few directors kind of in that grouping as well. And the reason for that being that in the channel, we're so good about highlighting our female leaders and celebrating them and um, you know really making sure that they're all over the place in the channel. But we have a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to these women kind of earlier on in their careers or in those manager and below positions. And so I just want to make sure that we're reaching out to them. We're letting them know they've been seen. They're supported. We're giving them the tools to really hone their craft in their specific roles and aligning them to leaders in the space, as well as just giving them opportunities themselves to get on stage and present and be on panels and and do different workshops uh, because a lot of them have never done that so that we're able to kind of hear their expertise and their tools and their perspective so they really feel involved in this incredible channel community and we don't risk having them drop out and leave us to go to a different industry you know before they have an opportunity to become the powerhouse leaders that we think you know are deep inside of them. Yeah, that's so awesome. I mean, I love the fact that you're creating opportunities to get exposure, right? And you're helping to build confidence. There's some wonderful people I'd like to introduce you to that specialize in that space. I participated in helping, you know, women with leadership and confidence building throughout the years. So there's someone in particular I really would love to introduce you to, which I'll tee up. Um, you mentioned something about the blind spot. I'm going to come back to that here shortly, but before we 
go there. Do you mind just giving a little bit of detail about your current role at Livebox? Yep, absolutely. So I am the senior director or head of channel marketing, which means a lot more than I think a lot of people think it means. You know, channel marketing is a lot more than just executing on channel events, folks. Like, and I'm sure a lot of channel marketers are like, amen. But uh, channel marketing really is, in my opinion, the foundation and the framework of your channel's go-to-market strategy, which in turn is your the lifeblood of your organization, right? And so for me, as a channel marketing leader, I really focus on developing kind of the annual or whatever the time period is, channel strategy based on my three pillars, which is partner recruitment, partner enablement, and then channel demand gen. And I kind of look at each of those pillars almost as levers that I and my team and our sales team can pull to really impact our channel business. So if, for example, we're feeling kind of maxed out on the number of partners in our existing ecosystem, I'm going to pull that recruitment lever. Or if I feel that we're recruiting a bunch of partners, but we're not converting them to bring us opportunities, or we're reaching kind of a stagnation in our existing base, I'm going to pull that enablement lever. Or if the lever that we always seem to need to pull, uh, but if we're looking to really drive more opportunities and pipeline for the channel, we're going to end up pulling that demand gen lever. And once I figure out, you know, what are the targets for the year in each of those pillars, I then go back to my team and we work together to create the building blocks of each pillar. So what are the programs and the campaigns and the tools and the events that we're going to create to arm our salespeople and our partners to be able to be successful in achieving the random targets? And I think kind of to extend on that a little bit, you know, when I'm looking at those numbers, it's a matter of working with the sales team to find out what is the sales target? What is the pipeline that we need to build to achieve that sales target based on conversion? How much of that comes from the existing base? And then what is the delta that we're going to have to get from recruiting a new base? And then again, just working with the team to create the plan and the, the actual tactical programs and tools that we're going to use to get there. Love that. Yeah, it's just it's a lot. And on top of that, we've got the partner program. We've usually got a partner portal, some degree of really pushing training kind of under that enablement umbrella and just making sure the brand is in good standing channel. So lots of fun stuff. I love it. <laughs> no, that that's super awesome. Uh, congratulations on all the success, by the way. I mean, you've got tremendous experience. You, know, you look at your time frame, you know, at Ring Central, and then obviously you had some more experience with 8x8 and Nextiva, and now where you are with Livebox. So I have to believe like you've been able to really pinpoint some amazing strategy on like what it really takes to build a successful and great program. Any insights you want to share? Like if you are giving advice, right, to the next channel marketing leader coming up the ranks, like what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them on really building a a successful program? Yeah, great question. Um, So I think I look at, I've built a handful of partner programs at this point and um, I've really kind of honed in on my formula for what I think works. And it's funny because I look at all of the partner programs, almost like fraternal twins or triplets or quadruplets, however you want to look at it, where at their core, the methodology is the same, but they each have kind of grown and manifested into their own machines. But obviously, you start with that general framework. Like I mentioned, that supports the partner through the entire partner journey. So recruitment, enablement, demand gen, extending that into pre-sales, post-sales support, implementation, and customer success. But 
I think my secret sauce. Here we go. Drum roll. I don't know that I've revealed this too much. Is I hyper focus in on the demand gen part. And the reason for that is that a lot of our partners in this space are not marketers and they do not have big marketing teams. And so I always want to make sure that they are enabled to be able to execute on a, on demand gen in a way that it's, that is approachable, it's quick and it's affordable. And I really break down my demand gen strategy into two pieces. So one is high end kind of high touch white glove services for our top partners and then creating self-serve capabilities for the rest of the partners. The way that we do the high-end pieces, which I think is something I hope a lot of providers can kind of take in, is um, so I will work, I'll partner with five, four or five different specialists or agencies that are third party to my company that do these high-end, but usually high-yield demand gen services. So paid search, SEO, ABM, social targeting, appointment setting. And we will sit down with each of our top partners, figure out their goals and what they're looking to accomplish and align them with one or two of these specialists. And they start to create a strategy with them. And I, as a provider, we will fully fund that first month. And then in months two and three, if the partner likes it, we co-fund. And we both have skin in. Love that. And then at month four, the partner then has the opportunity to become a customer of that agency. And it's a win-win because for me as the provider, I'm no longer paying for that service, but likely that partner is continuing to use that service to market our product or capabilities because that's where they found success. But for the partner, it's a win as well because they have been able to pilot and test out a strategy that really works for their business model that generates success and they have the confidence to go in and really kind of double down on that opportunity. And that's just been, I think, a big differentiator in the way that we do demand gen than um, some of our competitors. And then on the self-serve side, common sense, right? Just make sure that whatever tools you're using, whatever TCMA or marketing automation tool you have for your partners, it is easy. I always look, can they get an email out the door in six steps or less? In five minutes or less, can they do it? Can they pre-schedule a multi-touch social campaign in 10 minutes or less? And beyond that, can they pull reports so they can see everyone that clicked a link in that email so they can pass that to their sales team and say, follow up with these people, ask them about this product because they engaged with it. And I think if you on the self-service side can really make it easy to use, but also easy to measure and create a follow-up strategy, they will see the success and thus you will see a success. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing so many good insights there. Thanks for giving away the secret sauce. We all appreciate that. So curious around this, I, as you're developing all these strategies around demand gen, you're really trying to get the hearts and the minds of the partners. Like one thing that I've noticed is there's been this trend, right? Where the channel has really started to pivot away from going to these large telcos that do everything. And instead, they're being more intentional, you know, and partnering with companies that do one or two things very, very well. Like here at Ariaka, like we do SD-WAN, we do SASE, that's it but we do it incredibly well. Same with you around, you know, CCAS and Livebox and the whole value proposition. So as all these new entrants come in and they have the things that they offer, the solutions they offer, you know, the market's got somewhat crowded, right? There's a lot of people vying for the one thing we all need, which is Mindshare. What are some things that you would say really help enable you 
and what you're doing to stand out in this crowded space? Yes, that is a great question. So I think it kind of goes into grabbing the attention and enabling the partners from the get-go. And so a piece of advice I think I would would say or kind of a, a thing that comes to mind is before you do anything, an event, a roadshow, a lunch and learn, a webinar, a campaign, really take a minute and understand the audience that you are targeting. What are their titles? What do they care about? How do they measure success? What are their KPIs? What do they worry about? What are their risks? And then really and truly tailor your content and your calls to action around those things. And I know that sounds like such common sense at the surface, but I have been to event after event where providers pull multiple people from within partner organizations into the same room. They've got marketing people and salespeople and technical people and principals all in the same room together. And while, yes, collectively, each of them are going to be caring about the same thing, which is company growth. Individually, the things that they are hyper-focused on in their day-to-day, the things that keep them up at night and that they worry about are all very different. And thus, the content that's relevant to them is also very different. And so maybe instead of doing a one-hour presentation that goes an inch deep on everything, break it into three to four 20-minute presentations that goes very deep on what each individual is aligned to. What are the KPIs and the parts of your product that they're going to care about or your partner program? What is it that's going to really catch their attention and say, that's going to make my job easier or that's going to make me better? And, you know, kind of an example of that is if you're in a room and you're a provider speaking to partners, to the sales organization, you're probably going to talk about your product differentiators. What is your silver bullet where you win 90% of the time? What does your pre-sales support look like? Uh, whereas if you're talking to the marketing team, you're probably going to talk about your, the benefits of your partner program and the demand gen that you can offer. And what, are, what does the MDF program look like? And then on the last piece, if you're talking to the technical team or the engineering team, you're going to talk about your uptime and your compliance and your post-sale support and your implementation. And so when you break it down like that, it becomes very obvious that there's not a lot of overlap in what they care about when it comes to the details of how you support them. And so I guess my my plea or my urge to providers out there is just take a minute, take that step and make sure you're talking the language of your audience and make it relevant to them. And then arm your partners with content to be able to do the same to their customers. When they're talking to a CRO or a CMO or a COO or a CEO, give them those differentiated points. I love that. That's such great feedback and guidance. You got to know your audience. I mean, one thing we always talk about here at Ariaka is, is really being intentional and being consistent. Like every single day, being consistent and intentional and relentless with your messaging um, because it is so crowded. And so, you know, if you see us on social, you'll see we're always being very active and promoting, you know, the things around our culture and the experience. So, I think that those insights are wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. So when we kicked off this podcast, you talked about this blind spot. And I know you're obviously you're an amazing influencer in our space. You're doing wonderful things. You're trailblazing, really pushing a lot of the DEI initiatives. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute. You know, talk to me about the DEI stuff. Why why are you so passionate about it? And you know, just give some insights into some of the work you're doing around DEI. Yeah, absolutely. This is a loaded question. <laughs> so 
how candid could I be in my response? Well, I, here's my my key is always be authentic. Right. Okay. Perfect. I I'm gonna open the Pandora's box a little, but I will not get on a soapbox and I will not get into a rant. I hope. <laughs> um, but so, like, starting with the positives, right? There's been so much positive growth in our space when it comes to DEI, and especially um, when it comes to women in the workplace. We are seeing more and more companies making a focus around hiring more women and minorities into their organizations and really driving that diversity angle. And then we're also seeing a lot of companies spinning up ERGs. I know you guys have one that you've started to support the women at Ariaka and making sure that they feel that they have an internal community to lean on. And those are hugely important because that really drives the app, right? So we've made some great strides and done some really amazing things to kind of push the D aspect and the I aspect. But where my big pause comes in, and this is something I'm a big advocate for, is that you know, I worry that we celebrate those so much, we miss the E aspect or the... This is the blind spot, right? You're talking about the blind spot. Yeah. Okay, keep going. And so we end up just missing out on doing the work within our organizations to really push for equity of title and pay with women and minorities within our company. And so, well, that's not like, we are just not hiring enough women, I think at VP and above level positions uh, just across the tech channel. And that's not to say, though, that we're not hiring female department leaders. But what I see and I hear about over and over again, and this is my plea to the executive teams, is men, and this is not an absolute, but oftentimes men are brought in as department leaders at a VP level. Whereas women, oftentimes, when they are brought in as department leaders, they're brought in at a director level with a path to promotion. And what that does is it creates a bit of a tension at these leadership tables where for all intents and purposes, everybody is a peer. Everybody has an equivalent kind of scope and set of expectations and responsibilities around their particular departments. But you have a power inequity of title. And it's worth saying, like, this is an all things being equal discussion. I I do not like the idea of a woman getting hired because she's a woman or a company needing, and I hate this term, a diversity hire. I am saying if a man and a woman have equal experience, equal skill set, and are equally able to be successful in their role, they should be hired in as equals. And, you know, that ends up translating to an equity of pay in a lot of ways. And I guess to kind of not just rant, but perhaps offer some calls to action or just kind of thoughts around things that we can do. You know, I think the inequity of pay is something that res- the responsibility also lies on the women. A lot of times we do not research to find out our worth and thus do not advocate for the money and don't ask for it. And I think that you have to take that ownership. So to the women out there, talk salaries. If you feel uncomfortable doing that internally at your company, do it in the industry with men and women. Find out where you stand. And I know those conversations can be uncomfortable, but it is a win-win. If you talk to a peer and you find out you're making a lot less than them in the industry, it gives you a good gauge of what someone at your expertise in your role is worth. And it allows you to go back to your organization and have a conversation about a path to a raise or that next step. And likewise, if you're making a lot more than your peer, you're able to kind of have a discussion. A, you know you negotiated well, but you can also arm that with the same knowledge. 
So I think that's something women can do. Again, women in the industry, if you're uncomfortable doing it at your company, I think that's fair. And then to company leaders, do not lose good women to title and pay discussions. And don't give them the titles don't matter discussion because in this day and age, they do. Just when they come to you with these concerns, sit down, hear them out, and help them create a plan and milestones and a true path that is attainable. And then the last thing, just department leaders, men and women, check in on those women earlier in their careers, the ones kind of in those manager and IC roles. Make sure they feel seen, make sure they feel empowered and supported to just be successful in the role. Wow. Just such awesome guidance there. And I think we can all take a lot from that and we can learn from that. And we all need to push, right? Do our parts as leaders. Is everybody out there across the channel as leaders to really help eliminate that blind spot, right? Make sure there is equity in terms of pay and responsibility. So um, I'm your ally. I'm here to help promote that, drive that. By the way, it's one of the things I really love about the company I work for. When you look at the diversity we have, I mean, we have three amazing women in the C-suite here at Ariaka, which isn't typically the norm. So I love that. It's one of the reasons why I'm sitting here today. I'm with you. I believe diversity you know, really creates an unbelievable culture where you can innovate faster, you can develop people, you can just really be successful. So thank you for sharing that. Kind of switching gears a little bit on you, talking about more of like your, your personal life. And I've followed you and I know you've had a lot of success in those roles. And one thing I've learned about you too is I know that when you jump in something, you jump in it, you know, head first and you're all in and like you're super passionate about giving the job or your role 150%. I know at some point, like you decided to take a bit of a step back, right? You decided to take some time off, I think maybe four or five months. Talk to me about that. Like what led you to actually taking a step back and uh, recharging? Like just walk me through that. Yeah. I actually gave a keynote on this at the ACW Live event in Vegas last year. And it was just around how I, like many other people, men and women in this space during the pandemic, I mean, we were, I was grinding a 60 to 65 hour week. I was going to bed at three to four in the morning. I was waking up and doing the same, uh, waking up and doing it all over again. And it really started to take a toll um, on my life, on my, on my marriage, on my health. And I just realized that I was completely lost in my job. And I think more so because of the, the health impacts, I've realized I need to step away from this for a, a period of time. And I didn't know what that was at the time, just so I could recalibrate where work stood in my life. And I have a link to that. If anybody wants to hear me ramble on about work-life balance for half an hour, <laughs> I can send that out to anyone that wants to see it. But my call to action for everyone in this channel, and you will hear me say this over and over again to the point that I'm sure it annoys people because I say it all the time, but you need to put yourself, your health, and your happiness first, period, end of sentence. Like work should be an important part of your life, but it should not take over your life. You know, so learn to set boundaries, learn to say no or to push back, learn how to shut the computer at the end of the day, and like learn that when you're on PTO, be on PTO, trust your team. They got it. I promise if you've done a good job. And kind of a tactical thing we can all do, and I don't think enough people do this, is 
Literally schedule time for personal things on your calendar, just like you would a meeting. Schedule a walk a few days a week or whatever form of exercise you like. Schedule happy hours and dinners with friends and family and your partner. Uh, schedule that massage or whatever your form of like self-care is. And the reason I say schedule it is because a lot of us haven't flexed that personal prioritization muscle since before the pandemic. So candidly, we've fallen out of the habit. And by scheduling it on the calendar, hopefully you will hold yourself accountable and you will retrain yourself to reincorporate these things into your week because I promise they it just makes everything more fulfilling and it makes just life seem more full, you know, because work becomes a part of your day, but not your whole day. Yeah, no, I can relate 150% myself. Like, you know, I always try to be active, always try to go to the gym, but I find if I don't set aside that time, everybody will calendar stomp you constantly and just always look to take your free time away from you. So really great feedback and advice there. So one thing I always like to talk to you about is, you know, obviously you ended up in channel marketing, but I have to believe there was some dream job you had, you know, when you're at University of Texas, and you're going through college and whatnot. Like, what was your dream job? What were you hoping to do? So <laughs> I can't imagine there are many little girls or boys out there for that matter who like look up at the stars and they're like, one day I want to be a channel marketing leader. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but for me, when I was a kid, I really wanted to be an astronaut. That was like the dream. And as space travel becomes more approachable, like maybe that's something that I achieve in my life. But I just think being able to look down on the earth, like in its entirety, would be such a life changing experience and put so much in perspective. But I do actually have a career goal that I'm still working towards. It actually has nothing to do with this space. But one day, I, I live in Colorado, so I would like to open up either an adult summer camp or an active aging in place community of like tiny homes in a small neighborhood where everyone just gets to know each other and gets to lean on each other. And we can take people on small adventures within their capabilities with the goal of just keeping them super young at heart and young of mind as they kind of advance in age. So that's the goal. We'll see kind of when if and when I'm able to actually pull it off. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that career goal. By the way, I'm in Colorado too. Amazing place to, to build that dream. It's funny, like you had aspirations of being an astronaut. When I was a kid, you know what I wanted to be? What? I wanted to own, you're going to laugh at this, I wanted to own my own ice cream truck <laughs> because I thought it'd be the most amazing thing ever to drive around with an ice cream truck, ring the bell and serve people up ice cream. You can still make that happen, Craig. I mean, yeah. Well, let's let's set the bar a little bit higher now. But um, <laughs> my my parents still make fun of me for that. So, last question. You know, there's a lot going on in our space. Uh, a lot's happening in the channel. There's a lot of layoffs happening. Right. Some companies are retracting, especially in the UCAS space. Like, there's been a lot of of challenges there. Just curious. What are, what are your predictions? What's going to happen here? The remainder of 23. Yeah. I guess with predictions, I mean, I feel like if I were to kind of give advice based on predictions, because I think we're all on the same page of what we think is going to happen. I mean, obviously, a lot of consolidation is going to happen. And so, you know, to people working at these providers that are that are going through mergers and acquisitions, just let the dust settle. Don't make any 
drastic decisions um, until you have an opportunity to really see if that merger acquisition landed you in a better role or a better leader or a better scope. And if it didn't, it's okay to kind of make the decision to take a step back and end up moving on or, or changing uh, companies. But also, I guess, on the partner side, not really a prediction, I guess, but obviously we're seeing and we're going to, I think, continue to see a constriction of budgets and a constriction of headcount and just this need to do more with less and to drive efficiencies, despite the fact that they have a larger or growing sales target to hit. And so for them, I would just say, lean on your suppliers as much as you can. We've got comprehensive enablement tools and demand gen tools and MDF that are here to help us help you grow your business. Um, And I think Ariaka does a great job of this, but the right provider is not the one that's going to shove just their product down your throat, right? So don't feel like you're signing in blood when you accept something from a supplier. If they are a good supplier, what they're going to do is give you the tools and the messaging to help you grow in their technology sector as a whole and trust that because of the relationship and the partnership, you're going to bring them into their to the right opportunities and you're going to you know bring them in to help close the opportunities that are really in their wheelhouse. So I guess kind of less predictions because I think they're both pretty much out there, but hopefully maybe some words of advice on kind of how to navigate those two areas. I love it. I think the advice is is spot on. You know, I always talk about you got to focus on what you can actually control, right? And so many people spend so much of their day. I think I read something like people spend 85% of their day focusing on things that could negatively impact them. And when they focus 85% of their day, only 15% of that actually comes true. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much energy spent on things that'll never, ever weigh in. So I believe you remain focused on the good. You remain being authentic. You remain being positive and good things happen. I could not agree more. I Life is too short to spend time on negative things. Just time is finite. Use it to channel as much positivity as you can. Awesome. You put stuff good into the channel, good stuff comes back. And I want to just thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. You're doing such wonderful work in our space. Congratulations on all the success you're having around channel marketing, being recognized as an influencer. Keep trailblazing. Like We need people pushing hard. And I've got your back. A lot of us out there have your back. And we're going to help create solutions around that blind spot. Like Because I agree, we've got to fix that as a community. And so keep up the good work and uh, thanks again for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so much fun. And I think you just all that you do. I think as a male leader in this space, you are very much a sponsor and an ally of women. And we see it, even those of us on the outside of your organization. So just thank you for all that you keep doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much.